Okay, Pasa Mufasa, welcome to the Micopreneur Podcast. We've got a sensational episode in store for you today with none other than Max Gorenson of Golden Mushroom Co. Yes, near and dear to my heart, a good friend, and also someone who lives in San Diego, which is my hometown that I miss very dearly. I've had the good fortune of tapping in with Max in person a few times and seeing the amazing things that they're doing at Golden Mushroom Co. Buckle in, shit's about to get hot. Let's get this show on the road. K-Pasa, Mufasa, Max from Golden Mushroom Co., straight out of Ocean Beach, San Diego, my hometown. What's up? Great to have you on the Michael Preneur Podcast. I'm so happy to be on here, man. Well, I got to say right off the bat that I love your style, man. We've had a chance to tap in in person a few times and hang out at the beach. And I'm a big fan of Golden Mushroom Co. You guys are doing amazing work there, and I'm super stoked to follow your journey. But I got to ask, how did Golden Mushroom Co. start? All of a sudden, it just popped up, and I'm at the farmer's market buying delicious lion's mane from you. But give us a little bit of the origin story. Yeah, man. I would say like first like interest in mushrooms is whenever I was like 18, 19 years old and I started growing with my friend and on and off I was growing all throughout there. But like during pandemic, um, I had like not grown mushrooms for a couple of years. And during pandemic, I picked up like growing oysters on straw and doing a couple other things. And I had like a tent set up in my house and I called my buddy to Adam to catch up. He's the other half of Golden Mushroom Co., and uh, I called him to catch up and I was like, hey, man, I was like, what have you been up to? And he's like, oh, nothing much. And we're catching up about music and different things. And I was like, dude, I've been growing uh, a bunch of blue oysters. He's like, me too. He's like, I have like a little tent set up in my house. And so I went over to his house and checked it out. And he had a bigger sterilizer at the time. And I had a better like flow hood set up. And it was very obvious that we were going to join forces and, and do it. So, yeah, that was the birth. I was working with San Diego Mycological Society, and we were blessed to do oyster mushroom po'boys with you guys providing the pink oyster mushrooms. What was that experience like from your end? Because that was really cool. We'd never done anything like that. And, like, there was a professional video shot in a kitchen that was actually a movie set. And, like, I was really pumped on that event. But I'd just love to hear your perspective. Have you ever done anything like that since then? Yeah, no. And we were super blessed at the time because we were so small still. We had, like, a portion of the a garage set up for fruiting it was probably like a few feet by a few feet and we like packed it up at the time that was packed up for us with with bags to do that and we were like it was the beginning for us so we were pretty like nervous we're like oh man we're growing like this many and kind of like stored all the blocks away but it was awesome it came together really good we were all still on zoom then it was still kind of like mid-pandemic and everybody was cooking in their house with the chef on the call it was incredible it was so much fun I would love to do more events like that. So we might have to figure something out. And I got to say, when I first bought Lion's Made from you at the farmer's market, it's right across the street from where I used to work at the OB Hostel. They probably changed the name now, but I love that farmer's market. I bought some Lion's Mane and made Lion's Mane ceviche. And like that was probably the first time I ever cooked with Lion's Mane. I had had it before and, you know, other people had shared it with me, but I was so pumped to get to use Golden Mushroom Co. Lion's Mane for that. So how about from your end? And what are some lion's mane recipes that you find yourself making? Because I'm sure you've got tons of it available. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, the other – actually, last night we just made these. I cooked another one today too. But I'll take like um, – whenever I'm at the markets, after I finish up, I'll either trade my mushrooms for local produce or um, I'll just like cash them out and get a bunch of like – a bunch of different stuff. But I had beets, zucchini, 
uh, used lion's mane and I shredded it all with like flour, egg, and made like, I make like veggie patties out of them. Uh, I've like evolved from the lion's mane crab cake recipe and now I use just a lot of just veggies that I can and make like these patties that'll last a few days and they're great. So that's my main thing right now. We did like a, a, a crab cake Benedict recently that was like so good. Chef's kiss, baby. That does sound amazing. I'd love to try some like that. So walk us through a little bit some of your expansion because I know you all were growing so many mushrooms at a certain point that your shelving system actually collapsed, which sounds no bueno, but like that's also low-key fire that you guys are growing so much weight that you had to expand. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It fell on the me. <laughs> um, I was I luckily made it out of that okay. Um yeah, so we started by like putting shelves into the wall and we're hanging the blocks up and then that that failed on us. So we're back to stainless steel racks, but um still in the garage, still in both of our homes right now. We're going to hold out on a commercial space probably until like I would think maybe fall. We were like at first like summer, but like it would be better if we just rocked it, stayed in our houses. But now for um, sterilization and incubation, Adam runs that at his home. So he's constantly mixing, you know, 10-pound fruiting blocks, sterilizing. They're going straight into the lab. Grain spawns being poured, incubated there. And then here, sorry, my pup. There we go. And then um, we have, for fruiting, a 30 by 10 garage. It used to be just a portion of the garage, and now we've pulled the wall out and made it almost the entire garage. And that could support more mushrooms than we're growing right now, surprisingly. We're doing like... Anywhere from 50 to 75 pounds a week now, which is enough for about two farmer's markets. We built Ocean Beach up a little bit more than what we were doing before. And so we have, uh, you know, Wednesday OB, Thursday North Park here in San Diego, and then Poway sometimes on Saturday. So rocking about three markets a week. That's good. Hell yeah. And I saw that y'all are dipping into some other products too. I know there was a discussion about branching out into tinctures and, you know, the, the sky's the limit for people who have 50 to 75 pounds of functional mushrooms per week. So what are you looking at right now? What are you guys working on? Um, we do have a tincture line that'll be coming out at some point. I think first we're going to do a coffee. We're actually getting uh, roasted beans from people here in town in OB. And then we're going to be grinding those and mixing it in with our lion's mane and selling like, uh, you know, like 10 ounce to go lion's mane packets, all local beans, local mushrooms. It'll be really cool. That and the tincture line. Yeah. Well, I'm pumped to try some. I'll be back in San Diego in April. So you best believe you'll be getting a call from me. And let's just talk about the transition to San Diego. You've been there for a few years. I believe you're originally from Maryland or from the East Coast. How are you liking California lifestyle? Oh man, it's so good. Uh, I call my friends from the East Coast now and they're like, wow, you changed. Like <laughs> the first two seconds of the phone call and I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> but I guess, I don't know, I've, uh, I've adapted to West Coast lifestyle, I guess, pretty well. It's been really nice. Yeah. I bet the foraging's a little better on the East Coast. Is that something you have any experience with? Walk us through that, man, because I know you're going back over there and looking for mushrooms in the wild. Yeah, man. I'm actually not a foraging expert by any means. That's like uh, something I want to expand my knowledge in. I definitely want to do some forays with the Myco Society. But uh, whenever I was talking about growing, whenever I was like 18 through 20 years old, my buddy and I uh, grew up together. Whenever I moved out here, I started this, but he also has the mushroom company in Maryland. And he forages and also can take those to market. And I'm always like, he's calling me with these huge like flushes a chicken in the woods and stuff whenever they're in season. And I'm like, 
it's so hard because it's so dry in San Diego. We don't have mushrooms. So you know this, but just for listeners. But I mean, I just went foraging for the first time like a couple weeks ago with the San Diego Mycological Society. And I was pumped because we went on private property, of course, with permission, only a few miles from where I went to high school. And we found so many different mushrooms. And like we found jack-o'-lanterns is one that stands out. I think we found a boletus. We found some false chicken of the woods. I don't know that's actually chicken of the woods, but we found a ton of mushrooms. And I'm like, Nobody in San Diego forages. I mean, surely a few people do, but like that was not a thing for me growing up. Never heard of a single person doing it. But it's awesome that even in such like a chaparral landscape and like pretty dry area, there's still a ton of fungal activity going on. So I was pretty pumped about that. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I missed the foray. It was with Siegel, right? Is that the guy? Yeah. Well, they just did a second one. I, I went on a previous one, and Sam, who's the cultivation lead for Ohm Mushrooms, who's very involved with SD Myco, led it. And it's so impressive to sit with someone who actually knows the taxonomy and the phylogeny and all of that stuff, because that's not a strong suit for me either, but I'm actively learning about it. And there's just something really freeing and beautiful about being able to forage wild food and eat it and share it. And, you know, I'm sure there's mushrooms in my backyard that you can eat that we don't even know about. Yeah. Do you have a lot of fungal activity where you are? Tremendous amount, dude. It's insane. Only 2%. (laughs) Only 2% of the mushrooms in Chiapas have been described by science. So there's literally like tens of thousands of species. And that's something I'm pretty involved in with local mycopreneurs that I'm very proud of having built a relationship with. We've been going all around the state and tapping into the funga and like finding all these incredible mushrooms. And it's wild because we'll go to pretty remote areas and I'll have a local expert. He's very humble. He probably wouldn't call himself an expert, but I'll, I'll do that and call him an expert. And like the locals in that area will not even know that certain of these species are edible. And he'll be sharing like, oh, yeah, you can eat this. This one, it's edible. And it's just really cool to be there and to witness that and be like, wow, shit's crazy, man. I hope the whole world turns on to this soon. I think they are. But yeah, I'd love to hear about the day-to-day activity for a mycopreneur because I think you guys are at this really interesting stage where you just launched the company like less than two years ago and already you've been expanding. You guys have built up the first farmer's market. Now you're in three farmer's markets. You got a tincture line dialed in, coffee. Like the expansion is real and you guys are doing it in a very sustainable manner, which is cool too. It feels like you're doing it at a very like mycelial grassroots level, which I have a huge amount of respect for. So just be curious to hear, yeah, like, what what is that like on a Monday morning for you? Like, what's your workflow like, you and Adam? Uh, so, yeah, like, Monday morning, I usually get up. I get over to Adam's before 9, um, and we'll sit down, game plan, stuff that's coming up. Like, we have the Fungus Fair coming up with SD Myco. Uh, we're going to be putting away a bunch of grow kits, and, you know, we just kind of, like, list out the things that we need to be doing, how many blocks need to go into fruiting. Um, after that, I'll go upstairs there's all of our unicorn bags laid out small ones for kits big ones for for commercial blocks and we'll just start filling up oak and soy go down water station fill them up with the amount of water that we need then pack all these blocks together and uh, load up all the sterilizers and then right after all the sterilizers are loaded up we've unpacked all the blocks that were sterilized the night before then those get carted into the lab Uh, We pour spawn together, and then um, while we're waiting for the sterilizers to finish, we usually sit down and game plan some more stuff. Um, I'll go upstairs in the incubation, and Adam has it set up, just all the different species side by side, and it's like I'm a kid in a candy store. I get to go through and see what he's already incubated, 
and he has them all timed out for the market as well. And I'll pull all the lion's mane that's needed, the pink oysters that are needed, chestnuts, kings, and we pull out the amount of bags and then I'll load them into the van because we fruit in a second location. Um, and I'll leave while he finishes sterilizing. I drive back to fruiting, unload them all into fruiting, roll the carts into fruiting, cut all the bags and, and get them going and then get rid of second flushes um, and get bags out for compost and, and repeat. <laughs> and I see that you guys offer the spent grain spawn to the community. Can you tell me a little bit about how that works and have people been taking advantage of that? Yeah, yeah. We have um, a bunch of people that pick them up outside of um, uh, where we do fruiting at here in town. I use like free pages on Facebook to find people that need compost. Whenever I'm at the markets, I talk to as many people as I can that like um, that come by. Some people ask for it. And yeah, a lot of people, somebody came and picked up like 60 or 70 pounds of like used flocks recently. And that was that was pretty cool. So even if I throw them away, though, I don't feel bad about them going to a landfill either. So it's also a good thing. But most of them, I'd say it's 50-50, yeah, compost and thrown away. So with all that workflow, when do you have time? To, when do you have time to surf? Oh man, I still get time. <laughs> like usually, uh, I would say like Friday's my one day that I have to myself. Friday, Sunday. I always have those days, but everywhere in between. I'm running out at like sunset to go. Probably after we get off the phone, I'm going to see if my roommate wants to go surf. For those listening, Ocean Beach is one of the most beautiful beaches in San Diego. That community feels so special to me. It actually reminds me a lot of San Francisco. It's this totally isolated pocket. Like, I don't think I could personally live there if you have to commute because the traffic backs up. But, like, you don't really need to commute anywhere if you live in OB. You can just, like, longboard around and walk around and you have everything at arm's length and really love that community. So... I'd love to ask about what are some of the growing pains that you've gone through as a micropreneur who's been, you know, working for the last couple of years and like going all in on this business, making it your full time job. Are there any things you can remember, like experiences that you had where you had to overcome an obstacle or something and, and would just love to shed a little bit of light on some of the challenges you've overcome as a micropreneur? Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, the rack was a big one, like having all the blocks fall. We lost like a decent amount of mushrooms from that um there's been a like we tried to do all of our lab work all of our auger plates all of our cultures sterilizing all of our own grain and there was a lot of blank spots where i wouldn't show up at a market because there would be contam i'd be figuring out where it was coming from uh we were doing decent but there was too many i was constantly trying to like patch holes in the canoe with adam and we were figuring stuff out in our first year, just learning. So there was like a lot of hard calls where we were supposed to be a consistent vendor every week. And I was like, hey, we can't come this week, you know, because we don't want to show up and sell out in 30 minutes and you have to stay there the other four hours, you know. So it was more or less like catching up because everybody wanted a mushroom vendor there and there wasn't one. And we weren't uh, growing enough and, and selling out in an hour with the few pounds of mushrooms that we had or not being able to show up sometimes due to, to blocks not fruiting. So just learning. I mean, I think um, we just had to figure out our flow and, and what worked for us, and now we're here. But we needed all those things, and I'm, I'm still excited to, to fail on things in the future and learn a lot more. That's what's up, man. Well, let's tap into psychedelia for a second. Most people who cultivate mushrooms and who have an interest in mycology 
have had a psychedelic experience or 10 or whatnot. So, I'd, you know, I've shared my first trip report a few times on the podcast, and I'll probably think of one I can share after this. But I'd love to hear what was the first time you ever experienced psychedelic mushrooms? Oh, man. I'm excited for this. Um, I, I was younger for sure. I was probably about 19, and I took a gram of mushrooms. I was seeing if I could remember a strain, but I couldn't. But I took a gram with my friends and we went on a hike. And I remember it was a hike in Gambrel State Park. It's in Maryland. And there's a, a few ponds along a trail and they're called the fire ponds. They're called that because whenever there was fires, that's where helicopters would pick up their water to douse flames. So we'd go up to the fire ponds, hike and camp up there all the time. So we went out to the fire ponds. There was nobody out there. Uh, we had a little canoe and different things set up. And I remember having, I, I don't know, I think in my life, I was i was younger. I was looking to like party and have fun. And I think whenever I did that, I was looking to party. I wasn't in the space or the understanding to know what the medicine was. And I remember paddling the canoe out and really just hitting that peak and looking around and truly stopping to like look at how beautiful everything was it wasn't like I'm out with my friends we're gonna go party and do this it was like everything stopped and I like really soaked everything in and I felt the most present I had in a long time and I think the biggest thing to note from that first trip is after I rolled back down to earth from that and leaving the mountain I felt so clear and concise on things that I needed to be doing it was really different. It was something I didn't expect at all. It was like, I, there was just a lot of things in my life that weren't flowing completely how they needed to be. And I was choosing that. And I was able to like the next day get back up and be like, I need to be doing A, B, and C. And I really like attacked it. And I, after that, I remember going to my friend, telling him I had this experience. And he was very much opposed. Like, no, I would not do that. And I was like, I think that this is just my best friend at the time. And I was like, this is something that we need to experience together, you and I. And so that spawned like two years of us growing because he wouldn't trust to obtain his fungus from anybody else except himself. So we grew it ourselves and, and he had his experience as well. So it was incredible, man. Yeah. That's definitely my favorite. One of my favorite things about mushrooms is that quality control and being absolutely certain of what you have and having that intentional relationship, especially when you're cultivating, right? And I, w I lived in San Francisco and like was super stoked. I was a kid in a candy store and I was like getting all kinds of amazing psychedelic substances. But there came a point where I was like, I don't really know what some of this stuff is. But like with mushrooms, it was never like that. And one story I'll share is my first time picking wild psilocybin mushrooms in Costa Rica in Santa Teresa, which is a super beautiful little surf town. I spent a couple weeks there. I've got friends who are headed out there tomorrow. And we found out that there's just psilocybin mushrooms growing all over the pastures. There's a lot of cows in the area. And it's a, you know, a well-known surf town. And the locals, if you ask them politely, they're totally cool. At least they were in 2010 when I was there. They're totally cool with people going and picking mushrooms because they're like, oh, yeah, go for it. You know, knock yourself out. So 
we I learned how to identify them because there's not a tremendous diversity of funga in the area. So like there were really only two or three mushrooms that were growing. And one of them were some type of psilocybes, which are growing on the cow shit and they grow in little families. So I got so pumped to be like, whoa, you know, by that time I had already been an experienced psychonaut and like I had been buying them and, you know, bulk and dried mushrooms. But like the first time you can go out to a field and actually pick these things, bring them home and pop them in a teapot. I thought was so amazing. And we had a couple of people from Spain with us, uh, some friends of friends from Spain who came. And we all drank some mushroom tea the first time that we picked them. And they had never had psilocybes before. And I remember very poignantly that one of them said, I'm listening so well right now. He's like, usually I'm not able to listen to people and I'm distracted, but like, I'm so present. I hear everything everyone's saying, and I wish I could always be this, uh, this focused and pay this much attention to detail. And I was just so pumped. And then that guy ended up going back to Spain and buying a grow kit and cultivating and sharing with his friends. And I was so pumped on it. I'm still pumped on it, man. That's what it's all about. Let's get present here. How about for tomorrow for the farmer's market that you guys are at? You guys are there. You're dialing into Ocean Beach. But I'm curious, like beyond the farmer's market, do people from restaurants ever hit you up? Because I know you've got a network of chefs. Have you guys ever considered uh, supplying Lion's Mane and whatnot to different restaurants in town? Yeah, yeah. After after we have leftover past the markets, once we kind of fill up the markets to where we want to be and we still have additional mushrooms, I think we'll really go after it. But my buddy is a sous chef, if you know, in Little Italy, Juniper and Ivy. Have you heard of this restaurant? I absolutely have, yeah. I love this restaurant. And my buddy was like, hey, like I'll talk to the chef there. And I knew of the chef just from reading about him. Um, and he texted me back and he's like, hey, if you can come by, if you have anything extra this day. And I set aside a bunch of like lines mane and, and like some oysters. And I showed up there and went in the back and got the, he took all of them and I just invoiced them and he took them. We haven't done anything consistent with restaurants, but after I checked that one off, I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I would love to like start meeting with chefs and getting to know them and bringing them mushrooms in the future. That'd be awesome. Well, that's a major league restaurant, man. Juniper and Ivy, it's definitely one of the like, elite restaurants in San Diego and super nice area, which is crazy because Little Italy used to be kind of like a rundown neighborhood. Now it's like the bougiest part of San Diego. And it's just like, uh, but it's it's kind of wild. You know, I've, I've been born, I'm born and raised in San Diego. So it's been awesome in some ways to see all the changes, you know, like North Park used to be the ghetto. Like my in-laws my wife's parents used to live in north park and they got rid of their house in the 70s and like their whole family was like why are you living there fast forward and north park is like one of the most desirable neighborhoods in san diego it just be like that but yeah man another thing that i feel like we have in common for sure is we're both huge music lovers and musicians and i remember we got a couple jams in when i was at your house uh, a couple months ago but i want to hear from you man like what are some of your favorite bands that are, you know, some of the seminal bands that you've like, let's say you're on a deserted island and you can take, you know, three albums with you. Let's name drop some albums or some bands that you are ride or die for. I got a band first. Uh, my my roommate and I went to go see Krungbin. You know of Krungbin. But uh, there was an opener that was following them through California. Uh, he actually just got tickets and we're going to go see him soon. But it's Kikagayu Moyo. Have you ever heard of them before? Oh, dude, it's an incredible, like, uh, like progressive, like psychedelic band. And there's a guy that like rips on sitar and it's so incredible, dude. Just like long winded shows. 
and incredible. I think it's like a seven-piece band. They all used to be street performers and met each other in Japan, I think, and they, they all came together and started this band. I've been listening to them a lot, um, and I bounce around everywhere else, dude. I'm really all over the place with music. Like I've gotten into like a lot of like psychedelic rock recently, but I listen to so much, like so many different things, rap and funk and a bunch of stuff. Um, I don't know if I could just name drop other albums because there's so many good ones. And these days, like who even listens to albums? It's all singles and like playlists and whatnot. But I've been really pumped on Kurt Vile recently. Like I've known about and been a fan of Kurt Vile for years, but he's dropping some new music and I just really like his style. So I've been uh, laying in the hammock in my backyard listening to Kurt Vile and you know, I like to go through old playlists, too. I like a lot of, like, Motown and a lot of, you know, just if I find an artist that I like on, you know, Motown, I'll just dial in and start listening. Um, it's kind of hard when someone puts you on the spot to, like, name drop. I definitely want to shout out some San Diego bands, though. Gro- Gro- Groove Session, for sure. Groove Session. Uh, I went and saw TV Broken Third Eye Open recently, which is a San Diego local band. And they had a combo of Groove Session there, as well as another band, Boostive, that played there. These are all wonderful San Diego bands to go see live. I have something to show you, and I'll explain it for listeners that I guess might not be looking. But are you ready for? Are you ready for this? All right. I got. I got a. I got a. Yeah, I brought an upright piano to the second floor of my house. <laughs> I got it for uh, for free off Craigslist. Very out of tune. And uh, she's kind of tuned up now, and we moved a 500-pound piano up the stairs, so we can definitely jam next time you come. Shit's about to get hot. Before we let you go today, Max, we got to know, what is Golden Mushroom Co. working on right now that you can share the nitty-gritty details with us? Oh, man. Um, well, both both the new products that are coming out, for sure. Uh, Fungus Fair is about to be a blast. I feel like we're going to meet so many other people that are in the mushroom industry in San Diego County, which we haven't been able to do that, really. Because whenever we go to markets, we're like usually the only vendor at both of our markets, I think. Or we don't meet the owners, at least. So it'll be really cool to connect with other mushroom people that are in San Diego. That'll be awesome. Um, we have some new like sterilizing equipment coming in. Uh, we're pulling in like a stainless steel barrel, like it's like just under a hundred gallons, and we're gonna be drilling holes in that thing and building our own steamer instead of just purchasing brand new. I really think that we can kind of like lock down our own uh, prototype of what we want in the future whenever we build bigger stuff. So it'd be cool to just do it from scratch. I'm excited about that. All right, parting shot. Last question, bro. What are some words of wisdom you have? gleaned from hard-earned experience that you can share with aspiring micropreneurs and people listening in the audience right now about how to get this show on the road and double down like y'all did with Golden Mushroom Co. Oh yeah, if you're if you're just one homie or two homies and don't have a whole team of homies, you have to like you have to source some of your stuff from other places. We were like very adamant about everything from scratch. We will not buy grain spawn from from north spore or you know like we won't do this like and we really went for it and and it was hard with two people you can't do you can't wear every single hat you know go run all the markets go do all the sterilizing go to the lab and do all this stuff sometimes uh and if you do it'd be very stressful you know we have other things that we have to do with our lives besides mushrooms i mean i'd love for it all to be mushrooms but (laughs) um so like we eventually 
decided to order Grain Salon for the time being. I think whenever we expand or Adam and I are together in a space, if you're starting in your home and you're small, you can leave some of these more uh, fragile things like making your own grain and grain spawn uh, to the professionals just for a little bit while you get off of your feet and you get moving and then you can do all, you know, do all the lab work in the meantime and learn as you go. But I would say just, yeah, list out all your tasks and see how much you could take on. And if you can't take all of it on, I mean, you can, you can find other ways to, to go about it to make your life a bit easier. So Max Gorenson of Golden Mushroom Co. It's been an honor to host you on the podcast. We've been talking about it for a minute. We went and made it happen. Thank you very much for joining us today on the Micopreneur Podcast. We wish you continued success and prosperity with Golden Mushroom Co. And also a sensational surf sesh today and forevermore. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, too. Que onda, my friends. Gotta refresh the outro, too. So what'd you think of this episode? Drop us a line. Hit the DMs on Instagram at Micopreneur Podcast, or dare I say, TikTok. Yes, we've been engaging in TikTokery as of late. And while I have your attention, Ego Death Magazine is actively soliciting content submissions and recurring contributor roles. Just take a look at the type of content exhibited thus far at www.egodeathmagazine.com to get an idea of what sort of materials we are looking to platform. So don't be a stranger. Bridges, not borders, baby. All right. You take care of yourself now. I'll be seeing you around. Ciao, au revoir, sayonara, and adios, motherfuckers. Motherfuckers.